0: part one of two. Welcome to the podcast, Fatherhood, Perspectives on Righteous, Intentional Parenting, where two guys discuss and explore the challenges of parenting. They share their experiences, ideas, and perspectives as they search for ways to be better sons, husbands, and dads. Here are the hosts, Joseph Winkle and Taylor Greenhall. Good afternoon, Joe, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, Taylor. How are you? I'm doing awesome. I'm excited for our podcast today. We have a, a guest today that I'm really excited to talk to. I've really grown to appreciate the opportunity to talk to other people. Not that I don't enjoy talking to you, but... Wait a minute, what are we <laughs> But to have some... Oh, I thank you for clarifying. It's, uh, it's nice to have additional perspectives, I should say. Of course. So, um, absolutely. first of all, let me introduce Grayson, our guest today. First of all, Grayson, thank you so much for your For giving of your time to to be with us today on this recording, and and thank you for being here.
2: Yeah, I'm pleased to be here.
1: Thanks for having me on
2: here.
3: Our pleasure. And uh, again, so uh, we met Grayson through our uh, our Sir Mix a Lot uh, Jim knows Grayson. (laughs) He manages our technical podcast. Um, So Grayson, today we're talking about uh, addiction and recovery, and you were gracious enough to come in here and tell us a little bit about your experience and story. Uh, our hope in this is that we'll give light to those who are entangled in this uh, great trial, and maybe to some parents, maybe to some uh, kids. In the end, certainly through the things that we learn uh, and sharing those things, we can really help um, bring hope to others and even possibly some guidance. So again, thank you for being here. And uh, why don't we just start off with you Tell us a little bit about you growing up, and
2: what your family was like. righty. so I grew up with, I'm the youngest of six. Grew up at LDS, Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. I'm the youngest of uh, four older sisters and one brother. Uh, my parents were hardworking, and they were always willing to provide as much as they can for us. And over time, uh, as siblings grew up, they left the house. My parents started to kind of, they're getting older, so they kind of focus on themselves more. And we were able to kind of just do what we wanted to do. So around 14-15 years old is when I started experiencing with uh, drugs and alcohol and there wasn't really anything that was negative towards my parents. I always thought they were good people. It just wasn't a lot of open and open honest communication and I noticed that I struggled with a lot of fears, anxiety, and drugs and alcohol were able for me to cope with those things and be able to communicate with people boost your confidence a little bit and you know it was fun on the weekends but over time as life went on you know I got so 17 years old I uh am drinking and and everything and still using and so my parents come I get home Friday night one night and my parents come upstairs they're like hey they come downstairs like hey listen like You know, where have you been and everything? It's like, oh, just been out with my friends. And I go upstairs and my parents end up searching through my room. And they found about six bottles of Everclear. It's a strong alcoholic bottle. And they come upstairs and, hey, like throw on the counter and, hey, what is this? I was like, you know, what do you say to your parents when they approach you like that? And just very shocked and very hurt that they knew my little secret, I guess, so to speak. From then on, they were like, "Hey, you can't be can't be drinking and doing this at this house." So that's when they that's when I left them and uh, and went out on my own.
3: So just just as we're uh, getting into this, uh, my first question would be: knowing a little, you know, about the Church of Jesus Christ Latter Day Saints and what you mm-hmm. described to your parents, so you grew up thinking those aren't the things you should do, right? And probably when you're younger, you would have no interest in. It you remember what it was, how you got introduced to uh, alcohol and drugs? And uh, I'm just interested, like, how did that start? What was that process like?
2: So I grew up with my uh, one of my good friends, and he had older siblings. And we'd always go hang out with them, and they'd always be in drinking and looking like they had a, were having a good time, so to speak. And as time went on, we would go over there every Friday and Saturday night, after a while, you started seeing, oh, they're having, they're excited, they're having fun. We started playing beer pong. We started taking shots. That was that was like a moment where it was like, oh, this is, this will help you out to not focus on your anxiety, your fears. I noticed I was more outgoing. There is a type of excitement around it. And that's where it all began. It's just, there was this excitement, and I never thought it would lead me down to pass where it took me. Because it will take a good grasp of you and hold you very tight.
3: Thank so. you. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. Cause again, a lot of our listeners are parents and, and as they're bringing up, kids, you said some things that I've keyed in on. Um, number one is, uh, you know, at the tail end, I have seven kids and we're getting to, I'm old as you can tell. <laughs> I'm 50 and I'm getting to that old tired stage where our older kids, boy, we were really a part of everything they did. Mm-hmm. I remember. We would never let our kids go to someone's house unless we knew exactly who was going to be there. And I mean, we know what the world's about, we know what's out there. And now, as I look at our younger kids, very much like your parents, we're a lot more relaxed, a lot more like, well, our kids have turned out good and we trust you. And uh, that's the first thing I'm taking from this is, you know, being vigilant as a parent, Mm -hmm. recognizing one of our most important roles is to protect our children and not to take for granted the fact that you have a good kid that could be going into a bad situation that you probably weren't looking for that, but it presented itself. And then after time, it sounds like it became not shocking or unknown, but common and looked fun and inviting. And why not uh, take a break from your other worries and anxieties And, and, and that allowed you to have that. And, uh, that's very interesting. Is that, am I summing
2: that up? Yeah, that's very, that's very accurate. It was, we, I remember having family home evening every Monday night as a kid. As time went on, my siblings left the house. My parents got lack of the days because they started making, had more of an income. So they're able to spend more money, go enjoy themselves a little bit more, which is at their age, you know, they're in their early fifties. Like that's, you know, they work super hard. So might as well go do that. But I think the biggest thing is just keeping to the fundamentals of your life. Uh, I was always gone every night, sleeping over at a friend's house, gone on the weekends, coming to church every now and then, and parents were very pulled back, and they probably thought that was the best thing to do at the time. was just hey like let's go ahead and let him have fun, we'll give him you know allowance and give a car and he can go do what he wants. But I think looking back is I needed those fundamentals. I needed that, kind of not strict but
3: like guidelines, kind of kind yeah, like uh, for sure. Kind of like I think of uh, bowling. I'm a terrible bowler, but you know they put those little things for the kids down, yeah. and I'm always like, "Yeah, see now I can bowl." If I, you know, I can kind of get it down the middle, but it sure gets there better if there's some guidelines. Mm-hmm. There's still flexibility, and if you're kind of left to yourself at a young age and inexperience, then you know you're a lot more likely to to fall into you know. Yeah, for sure.
2: Exactly. I
1: would, I would like to ask a follow-up question. It's something we've talked about a little bit before we started recording, and I just want to give you a chance to expand on it a little bit. You mentioned it already, and that's communication. One thing Joe and I have talked about often when we've done these is the different stages we're at. He's got kids that are leaving the house. I've got kids that are in elementary school. I recognize that mm-hmm. these problems or temptations or whatever you want to call them with substance abuse or pornography or things like that are real mm-hmm. in our world. One thing we hope happens with this, these kind of conversations is that we can help people understand what to do, right? So my question for you is, you talked about communication. What, what advice would you give to parents of children in how they should communicate with their children in helping them understand that these things are real? Or in that moment when maybe a child tries one of these things, what, what would be your recommendation and how to communicate with a child that's has questions about these things or is in the middle of struggling with these things. Obviously keep it open
2: and honest with them. But as if you get strict, it just kind of pushes them away because that's kind of uh, a fear, I guess, so to speak. But the biggest thing, I guess advice would be is be willing to talk to them, not just ask about how their day is doing or how was school, so to speak, but yeah. ask how they're, how they're physically doing. Yeah. Uh, what is something that I can, even as a parent, I can do different to talk to you? And, and what would you like to see from me? With my parents, they were pretty open, but my parents just wanted to hear the good things happening on with my life. Like, what was I, what was I doing well? Which is what you want to hear. You want to see your kids excelling in life. But the biggest thing is you you also want to be able to have a place for them to share where you're struggling at and where you're able to you want to share where you're struggling at and then focus on how you can handle those struggles in a in a good manner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, school counselors aren't always, aren't always going to be able to help their, those kids in that way. So they need parents that are stable. And, you know, they're going to not be angry at them if they come at them with they, you know, did something wrong. They looked at a photo or they were, you know, caught stealing or mm-hmm. they, you know, were Even drinking, or even they were coming to you about drinking. You don't want to attack them, but hey, that's not good. That's not bad. Just be, hey, thanks for coming to me Mm -hmm. that way, and and that's how you open that channel of of communication. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I think sometimes as a parent, our temptation is, if we don't talk about it, it's not, Mm -hmm. it's not real, you know. Especially with me with younger kids, I think, man. They're getting to my kids are getting to an age where I have to talk to them about these things, and I just think, Man, I hope I don't spark something in their mind. But the reality is, the opposite is true. I, I, what I'm gathering from what you're saying is, I want my kids to feel safe with me. So, if something, if there is a temptation, or if there is, you know, like you said, if they take a candy bar from the store, I want them to be able to feel comfortable coming to me. And it sounds like that's what you're saying,
2: yeah, that's exactly right. Like, I love my parents, they were they treated me really well. I didn't want to see them hurt. So I wouldn't go to them. Yeah. That's the biggest thing is what I've gained is I would always hide everything. And that caused me to even drink more because there was things I wanted to get off my chest, but I didn't know where to go. And then you start finding filters and through alcohol and drugs with my filter to deal with those, yeah. those thoughts, those actions. And I got it. when I remember when I was 10 years old, I got caught looking at inappropriate photos of a celebrity online. And I went to, I told my mom about it and the way she handled it was she went and told everybody, my family and that kind of shut me down a little bit because I was like, Hey, this is just between us. Like I was trying to build that relationship with her, but then she ended up sharing it with everybody else. And ever since then, I never ever went to them about anything personal. It was always like, how are you doing in sports and I'm doing greater, you know, like I had a fun time at school or you know, I'm going to Lagoon with my friends. And just the way she handled that, it wasn't just that communication just between us. and did like how open she went, and that really shut me down.
3: Yeah, because it was a breach of trust. For sure. Which is true. I mean, and of course, parents are making their best choices. She probably was afraid and didn't know what to do. And, and so her reaction would be a lot of times we share things, hoping to get something back that helps. Mm-hmm. But in this case, shut you right down mm-hmm. instead of having a chance to open up a dialogue of trust like i'm glad you told me let's see what we can do to work on that and that's hard as a because of the something you already said in that sphere you know it, it comes from a place of fear when parents are trying to control you or exactly they're yeah. trying to uh just stop the behavior they're so worried of where it'll go instead of just kind of uh-huh. uh our earlier discussion taking it a day at a time and saying well how do we help our child and where are they really at, and how can we foster open communication mm-hmm. with them? In fact, I was thinking about uh, as you're you're talking about this with our conversation the prior podcast with Logan Reed, who does um, a lot of addiction um, prevention, and he said they did a study where they interviewed all these kids that were struggling and they said, list the the people you would most likely talk to." or go to about your problems and had friends and you know teachers or advisors or church leaders and parents, blah, blah, blah. And it said, list them, number one, the one you'd first wanna go to for help and, and the last. And they gave the same list to parents and said, who do you think your kids would choose? Well, of course, parents said, well, they'll go to their friends first and blah, blah, blah. And at the very end of the list, the parents said, well, we're the last person they would come to. but can you guess who the parents, or the kids said they, they would go to first? They said their parents. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and this, would you agree with that? Do you think when you first started struggling this, uh, with this, that had you felt like you could speak to your parents, had they established a rapport of open communication where you weren't feeling like you're being, um, judged, or I thought very interesting, you said you weren't feeling like telling them this was hurting them. Mm-hmm. but they were glad you were coming to them and they wanted to help you with it. Um, do you feel like that would have allowed you to open up sooner about it?
2: Yes, that would, would have helped out a lot. But my first choice would have been my friends or even my friends' parents just because then they wouldn't. it wouldn't be so direct and I wouldn't be seeing the effect of my parents if I had a difficulty in life. And... They would be my probably my last choice just because I didn't want to hurt them. And it's some of those times you have these secrets where you don't really want to tell them and there wasn't any open communication in the beginning and there was just lack of trust.
3: Yeah.
2: But now, since I've grown up and gone through rehab and everything, they're my best friends. They're my number one choice to go to for help. Just over time that obviously they learned different ways to cope with me. I've learned different ways to communicate with them and they've learned different ways to listen.
3: Wow, well I, I'm glad to hear that of course. I think anyone, any parent listening right now is <laughs> glad to hear that that there's a way through this and especially in the relationship. So your parents found out what had happened and they came down hard on you, said you just gotta stop and then kind of worded that and, and then that you, you left the home at 17 it sounds like. Yeah,
2: I moved in with a girl I was seeing at 17 years old. So I was I was my senior year in high school I ended up staying with her for a while, stayed away from my parents, didn't communicate with them at all. There was a lot of anger, frustration. I thought I knew everything. I uh, was, you know, chewing off the hand that fed me, just cut them off completely, just because I thought I knew more than what they did. And the way they approached it was, you know, they were very sad and hurt, but they were like, uh, no, this is, you can't be here if you're gonna, if you're gonna be doing this. And I think that first boundary was a big thing to do is set that first boundary. Cause looking back now, like say if I had a kid and they're dating someone or if they're, if they're doing drugs and I don't, I don't, uh, appreciate what they're doing, my first choice would be, Hey, look, like you can't, you know, you can't be doing this here. And if there's like, Oh, there's anger there, frustration, then, you know, you gotta set a boundary there. First of all, I would take away whatever I'm giving them. Like you can't stay here. You can't have a car. You can't, you know, if you're giving them allowance, no more no more time, you know, you to have this money. So I think setting boundaries is the first thing you can do. And you're going to have to let them, you know, go on their own. That's going to be hard to see. And especially looking back and talking to my parents now, they were very hurt to see me go. But they had to be able to let me go to see and figure out what I need to do right and learn from my mistakes. And that was probably the best thing they could have done—is—is is let me go. But it took me after 17, six, five, six years to get clean. So it was a good thing for them to do that.
3: Thank you. Mm-hmm. Also, again, great, great advice. You're going down uh, this path, and of course, addiction is progressive. So probably you know, more difficult experiences, and and maybe, I mean more, I guess, different substances, and or did you kind of stay in yeah. the same?
2: Obviously, with anything, I was curious, so I was experiencing with new things. And obviously, when you go to parties or uh, you have online, you can look up anything and find different ways to cope with what you're dealing with. My biggest thing was just numbing out completely. And the easiest thing for me was alcohol. Alcohol, weed, and pills were very easy to get. Those things really were allowed me to numb out and and forget about my parents, forget about what situation I was in and just kind of let my mind go.
3: Yeah
1: so when we talk about this progression obviously you've been through recovery you're mm-hmm. sober now yep. can you talk a little bit about your family's role in that process as far as when the ultimate time to make that decision came the struggle that it maybe it was for years uh talk about the influence of your parents or your family even in that process of, of moving from addiction to recovery to sobriety yeah.
2: so there's a point where my parents were like they just went all in like they Like, I'm sick and tired of seeing him struggle. There's, you know, we've, we felt like we've done our best, which I thought they did pretty well, but they, there's things that over time they've learned. Anyways, so I went to rehab when I was 18 years old and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do this for my family to get them off my back and to have them stop bugging me about being clean and being sober. And so I went in for, went in for two months at a addiction recovery program and it was, it was, A nice break, it was just a nice break to be away from drugs and running and gunning and and constantly finding to your next high, your next next drug. And with them, they were just very supportive and obviously happy that I was in a safe place. But for me, in my mind, I was like, as soon as I get out, I'm going to go back and start using again. I'm only in here just to please them. And that's the biggest thing is I was a people pleaser. And so with that, I just, as soon as I got out two weeks later. I was using again i went to outpatient another few months later you know i was just actually was using during then they would drug test you but i'd use i had a fake urine to for me to pass the drug test and it was just for many many years for about three three years four years it was just pleasing my parents making sure them knowing that i was clean i'm sober don't worry about me and then i went into another in-house uh recovery. And that's when it really set off. That's when I was just sick and tired of of running and gunning and I wanted to see what life was like being sober. And that mindset, that attitude change allowed me to really invest into why people were happy without using drugs and alcohol. Because there was times obviously that I was happy using, but in the end it was very tiring, very exhausting. But I had to keep on chasing it because that's something I was addicted to. I needed to have so I could focus in my life. So I did. I went in, inpatient for two months, and I got out. And life was good for a while. I think I got eight months clean, and I was like, "Wow, this is a new, new way of living, new way of seeing things." And the thought of me being sober for many years got a hold of me. And there's like, there's no way I can be sober for five years, 10 years, or 20 years. And I ended up relapsing. And I was 21, I relapsed until I was 23, kept on being, you know, I just kept on using. When I was 23 years old, I, I, I stopped and there was no aha moment. There was just, I started just living one day at a time. That was the biggest difference of my change of life, is living one day at a time. And my parents played a big role in going out and investing their time into recovery and addiction and understanding about it more because after you get a few months clean you're not so much chasing the drug anymore but you're mostly focused on why you were using and running away from it and working on your defense mechanisms and focus on why you were using because i always made it every excuse i could to to go drink or go get high or you know numb out in some way or another and being clean for those just focus on those days was you can just focus on on why you're using those first few months and after that you just start focusing on the the now each day at a time i think the biggest thing is one day at a time in one moment one hour one second because if you can just take care of that then you'll be sober in the long term
1: it's powerful that's a powerful lesson i think and it's one that i will take away from this conversation because i i find myself looking ahead way too much and and being fearful about the future, and I imagine it's increased exponentially when you're dealing with something as powerful as an addiction. And how am I, how am I strong enough to do this? But bringing your focus to one point in time exactly. is powerful.
3: Yeah, I think uh, we talked a little bit before we started, and as you brought this up, I thought, boy, that is a principle for every person. What the struggles we face, and it's even biblical. You know, uh, the Lord says, "Sufficient is the evil today." Like just focus on today. But what I I think is interesting and surprising to someone who hasn't seen addiction uh, as close up is at eight months when someone like me from the outside might think, wow, you're doing great and and you're beating this and you should be feeling great. You were overwhelmed with the thought, how am I going to do this for a year or five years? And it was that overwhelming thought that caused you to, to move. Back. Relapse again,
2: yeah, yeah. For
3: sure. And so this uh, and you said there was no aha moment or anything, but um do you remember when you the thought came one day at a time? Do you remember how that kinda came to you or did it just kinda Well just as you go to, to AA evolve? meetings,
2: that's the biggest thing is go to at least a meeting or two a week. In your first thirty or ninety days you go to a meeting every day is what they tell you to do. I would say listen to the meetings and keep showing up. But they have a big motto: just one day at a time. I never really, you'd always hear it, but never really stuck in my mind. And over time, as time went on, and looking back at my, you know, all my relapses and looking in the past, is yeah, like I can only can focus on what is in front of me right now, and worrying about what happened yesterday or what's going to happen tomorrow is just going to cause more anxiety, more fear, and more. Just more frustration. So if you can just focus on what you're doing now and be happy and calm, that's you know, all those things that didn't take care of themselves. So it's just going to the meetings repetitively, listening to what people are saying, and really believing, hey, like if this guy can do it, why can't I? And having hope I think is the biggest thing and my parents were able to the biggest thing is my parents went out and put their work put working, they were they put the footsteps in to understand what is addiction. Like why why is my son using and as they did that, they were able to pull away from me and just focus on, hey, let him do, run his recovery. They weren't checking in on me all the time. They weren't sending me a text, hey, how's your recovery going? They just let the peacock fly. They let, me, let my wings out and let me go. I think that's the biggest thing is they started trusting me. Over time, I, I saw that and I saw, wow, I finally got my trust back from my parents. And that took a long time, long, long time. And that's what really kept me going is like, oh, they're trusting me. They're seeing me. Boom. Let's just focus on today and focus on the now.
3: Well, Grayson, we are so, again, grateful for you taking the time to share these things with us. Things have taught me and and hopefully will make me a better husband, father, and parent and, and look at addiction differently and with more understanding. We're excited to go to another episode where we're going to continue and talk to your father. So we're going to finish this up and thank all of you for listening and hope that you have found knowledge and understanding through this information and encourage you to like and share this with others. Thank you.
0: We are so glad you could join in on the podcast, Fatherhood, Perspectives on Righteous Intentional Parenting. You can find us on all the best podcast sites. Please subscribe and share and be a part of the conversation by sharing your ideas, posing questions and making suggestions. Drop us a line at fatherhoodperspectives at gmail.com. That's one word, fatherhoodperspectives at gmail.com. This segment was recorded and engineered by Jim Fugate. The music for this podcast was provided by thepodcasthost.com and Alatu, the podcast maker. Find your own free music over at thepodcasthost.com slash free music.